Welcome to The Daily Bite with your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. It's been a much shorter book we've been working with here as 2 Peter chapter 3, just our third day together in this one, concludes the letter. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth, and the works that are done on it, will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish, and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. When we did the opening two days ago, we discussed where is Peter writing this letter to, and even though the opening of the letter doesn't make any kind of a statement, it leaves it open-ended. Unlike most of the apostolic epistles, which are usually pointedly addressed, this is the biggest clue that we get in the letter in terms of who Peter is writing to. This is now the second letter I'm writing to you. Most likely, this then which is why we have it labeled Second Peter, most likely this is then a follow-up to First Peter written to those same churches. It is a possibility 
that Peter had written another letter to another church, and this is a follow-up to that one, so I can't still say with certainty, but it seems most likely uh, that this is to the five churches that you can find in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. He addresses them as beloved um, with sincere minds, so these are statements that connect not just to, um, well, not worldly terms, and beloved, they're family. They're not family by blood, but they are family. I mean, they are brothers and sisters in Christ. And that they are of sincere mind is a reference to their faith. And as in chapter 1, Peter had encouraged them to seek after knowledge and virtue and such things. This sincere mind then is a reference to that as well, that they already are seeking after those. And this is just that reminder. We've seen that remind language from Peter several times in this particular letter. And the stirring up is that image we had in chapter 1 as well. Um, and he maybe did a family devotion on that with the putting of salt or sand into water and then stirring that around. Verse 2. The predictions of the holy prophets. Ask your children if they can think of any examples. Can they think of any prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled? And there are many. Uh, I've never actually done a personal account myself there are groups out there who have and they they come up with different numbers which are in the hundreds uh, usually genesis 315 is a great example we call it the proto evangelium um, i believe that's latin for first good news i guess it could be greek never really considered that anyway uh, the first good news the first promise of a savior comes already in the day of the fall when Adam and Eve sin, and the curse is about to be spoken upon them. The promise of salvation is actually spoken before the word of death that comes a few verses later as Adam hears his curse. There's the prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 52 and 53, where you learn about the cross of Christ and all that he would endure. You also see that in Psalm 22, which is a, uh, something Jesus quotes from the cross himself. You have Micah chapter 5, where we learn that the Savior, this Messiah, would be born in the city of Bethlehem. Or Zechariah chapter 9, chapter 4, verse 9, 9, 9, sorry, can't read my own handwriting. Where we learn that Jesus would come, the Savior would come, riding on a donkey, just a foal of a donkey. Jesus fulfills one prophecy after another. So the, the reminder part here, Peter is emphasizing that the people of God need to remember both the Old and the New Testament. The commandment in verse 2 connects back to the last chapter, verse 21 of chapter 2, the, the holy commandments of God. And really you should consider this as basically the whole of Christian teaching that we're talking about here. Verse 3, you know scoffers will come. We know false teachers will come, so we should be on the lookout for them. Verse 4 gives us an example of what they will say, and it is a challenge, challenging us to doubt his promises. Where is the promise of his coming? We'll talk about that down a few verses from now, but it's been a couple thousand years. He's not here yet. Where is that promise? Is he really faithful? And the scoffers have their way in this country. 
in the American context, the church is shrinking. Those who instill doubt into the church, they're having their way right now. It would be good for us to remember and recall and to teach the fullness of Christian teaching, remembering the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord. In verse 5, they overlook the simple fact that God has created everything by his word. I like how Peter just looks at that as a fact, a statement of fact. Our culture would despise that idea today and does despise that idea, and they use it to scoff us anyway. But it is a simple fact. Just because somebody else doesn't believe it doesn't mean it's not a fact. God created the world by speaking. Just spoke it into his existence. An incredible gift that that is. Verse 6 references Noah again. We've had that now in both epistles from Peter and twice in this one. Uh, so Genesis 6 through 9 is being brought up. The deluge of water and perishing. Verse 7 then by the same word that God created, by the same word that he has punished creation's sin, now by that same word again, the judgment in the last day will come. Heaven and earth stored up for fire are being kept until the day of judgment. This section is about as clear as scripture gets for you, that this heaven and this earth that we know of now Everything that you see when you look around you will be destroyed in the judgment. That's an important theme in this, this particular chapter, but it's part of our New Testament theology and our faith as well. And it's not just in Peter that we read that. Revelation talks about it. Isaiah talks about it. Jesus even mentions it in the gospel. Verse 8. So they overlooked, the scoffers overlooked, but you yourself do not overlook. And then he gives us this idea that time is basically irrelevant to God. God invented time, is one of the ways I like to talk about it. If you invent something, you're not bound to it. God does not have to do things by our chronology. It doesn't make sense to us, but it's the truth. It is the reality of the thing. God is eternal. He has no beginning. He has no end. He exists apart from time. It's incredible to think about and could probably become the basis for many science fiction movies, or in some ways already has. Now, a question on that for our, our children here is verse 9 then talks about how Jesus, God, is not slow at fulfilling his promise. When did Jesus say he was coming back? And you can ask that in two different ways. So when did, like when, as in, at what point in history did Jesus make the statement? When did he say, when did he utter the words that he would return? And the flip side to that, the second question is, okay, so what, at what point, when he made that statement, when did he say? When did he tell us to, to be looking for him? And so the, the answer to those questions, he spoke 2,000 years ago, just about, roughly, I mean, a few, we might be just a handful of years short of that, maybe 1994 years ago, something like that. Jesus said he would be coming again soon. And this is then what causes a lot of Christians to struggle and wrestle and grapple is, okay, soon, well, it's been 2,000 years, where is he? 
Well, he's outside of our time. He doesn't use our timeline to think through things. Not in the way we do. He's not bound to it like that. Remember, he's eternal. He doesn't have a beginning or an end. He just always is. So he's patient. That's also verse 9. And he's patient toward our sin, right? That we would not perish, but we would reach repentance. God gives us chance and chance and chance and time and time and time again that we might repent. And he gives that to the unbelievers of this world as well. And unfortunately, sorrowfully, uh, there are still those who never do come to that point of repentance, which then brings us to verse 10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. You don't know when it's coming. You don't know when it's going to happen, but Christ will return. And when he does, it brings about the judgment. The heavens will pass away. The heavenly bodies will be burned up. By that, you should think of outer space. Heaven in the Hebrew language of the Old Testament, and then also then carrying into the culture of the New Testament, the idea of heaven is not just where God is, which you know we think of a cloudy place up who knows where we just call it up heaven is actually anything up so the the sky where the birds are flying is heaven in their in their tongue their speech as is outer space so the heavenly bodies will burn up you can think of the birds of the heavens you can think of the stars in outer space in our own languages those things will also be destroyed in the judgment Earth will be exposed. There will be nowhere to hide from God. There will be nowhere to hide your sins and your wickedness. It will all be revealed. Imagine, you know, remodeling your house. Is there ever one of those home remodeling shows where they work on an old house and they don't find an unexpected problem? I mean, at some point you should think there's going to be a problem and it's not unexpected anymore, but they always seem to find something and they always seem to be surprised by it. And it always throws off their budget. Hmm. Anyway, the other example of that, the same idea, is you know cleaning your own home. When you clean things, when you do a deep and thorough clean of your house, things do not remain hidden. They are exposed. And so God is thoroughly purging the earth. And everything is exposed. Verse 11 since this is going to happen, since all of this is going to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be? Peter is encouraging us, if this is going to happen, we know this is going to happen, it is a promise, it is a fact, how should we live? This is encouragement not to cling to the things of this world. Your house is going to be destroyed, whether it happens by a you know a storm sometime 10 years from now, or if it happens on Judgment Day when Christ returns, either today or 50 years from now, or who knows when, your house will perish. Your clothing will perish. The company you work for will perish. None of these things last. The sports that you play, the, the gear that you invest in, uh, the, the degrees of paper hanging on your wall from academia, none of these things end up mattering in the end. How ought we to live our lives? The only things that survive, the only things that pass through the judgment are the people that God has put you here with. So this is an encouragement from Peter to live faithful lives 
for our own sake, that we get to be with Christ in paradise, but also for the sake of our neighbor, that they get to be with Christ in paradise. We are not to live for ourselves. We are not to cling to the things of this world. We cling to Christ's promise. We cling to God. And then we love and serve our neighbor. That was a consistent theme in 1 Peter. Uh, again, here showing up in 2 Verse 12, we wait, and we wait for and we hasten the coming of the day of God. How do we hasten Christ's return? By prayer. We are taught twice in Scripture, at least, very specifically to pray for this. In the Lord's Prayer, uh, back in Matthew chapter 6, as you think of, uh, it's verse 10 of that chapter, thy kingdom come. Or if you think to Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, the second to last verse in all of Scripture, where we're reminded of the promise that Jesus is coming soon, and John says, Amen, come Lord Jesus. That simple four-word prayer, Amen, come Lord Jesus, should be on the tongue of every Christian in this world, and they should be saying it every day. Pray for Christ's return. It will put an end to all evil and all suffering. But it also hastens us that we would love our neighbor so that they aren't also part of what, what meets demise on that day. So verse 13, according to his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth. God has promised new heaven and new earth. You can count on it. It's going to be there. Not on your timing, but on his. It's coming. And in that place, righteousness dwells. That is his righteousness, which we rejoice because he has taken his righteousness and made it ours. Conclusion, the closing paragraph of this letter. Again, be diligent to be found by him, not in the world, as Jesus himself would pray of us in John's gospel, but instead to be found without spot or blemish. Ask your children, how does that happen? What makes you spot-free, blemish-free? we're all sinners. What brings us there? And that's Jesus, his gift of forgiveness. And then at peace, where does our peace come from? That also is Jesus. We think of his resurrection appearances to the disciples. Peace be with you. My peace I give to you. Those kinds of statements. Or now Peter praying that the peace of God would be multiplied unto us. Peter mentions Paul here in this conclusion, which is neat. Uh, the cross-referencing here, the awareness that other men are writing these sacred writings that are going on. It's also funny in verse 16 there. Some things in them are hard to understand. Yeah, yeah, they are. We struggle with some of the things that are in Scripture. We don't understand at all. Uh, and there's Scripture admitting to it itself, as Peter writes this word by the working of the Holy Spirit. And unfortunately, the, the scoffers, twist those words. It meets their own destruction, but it also causes doubt among the faithful. We are called to be on guard against the scoffers, to watch out for them, to watch out for lawlessness. Paul writes against lawlessness. Shall we go on sinning? By no means. Because if we give in to the scoffers, we will fall into unbelief. So we are stirred up again. Verse 18 here as it closes, stirred up again just as it was in the beginning of this chapter and back in the first chapter of the letter that we would grow in Christ. 
And that really is the first chapter. All those things that were mentioned of, of seeking after virtue and knowledge and self-control and those kinds of things that you can read about. All things to the glory of God. All things point to God. Lastly, the letter closes really with this interesting phrase, the day of eternity. The day of eternity. Is that speaking of judgment day? Or is that speaking of the timeless reality that is the forever you get to spend in paradise? I don't have an answer for you on that. Like I said, it's an interesting phrase. And the book, though, ends with the word truly. Amen. That's what amen means. Indeed, truly. This is true. The promises of Christ ring true. You are forgiven. You are his. And we will be together with him in his paradise, this new heaven and new earth. Amen.